Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. I mean, 30 minutes later, it's still it's still wonderful that we get to chat and that you didn't abandon ship. <laughs> Just throw in the towel and say goodbye. I'm sorry that this has been... <laughs> Problematic. <laughs> All right. Thank you again for being here. <laughs> you can take the next minute to breathe. <laughs> this is Song Cycle, where we gab with cool people who bring their innovative ideas and projects to life to contribute to a more vibrant society through song. I'm your host, Sam Martin, founding artistic director of Cincinnati Song Initiative. Let's get into it. Whether it's performers with amazing stories from the stage, entrepreneurs and administrators who work tirelessly to push our industry forward in exciting ways, composers with an eye toward the future of song, or anybody else in this big community, I want to hear from them and share their stories with you. Okay, everybody, welcome to the first episode of 2024, season four of the Song Cycle podcast. It is my delight to uh, be in conversation today with Gwen Coleman, and we're going to get to know her uh, very well. But first, I want to read you a pared down version of her bio, and I encourage you all to look her up online and uh, learn about her yourselves even more. Soprano Gwendolyn Coleman is a teacher and artist of international reputation. Praised by music critics for possessing a voice of, quote, divine beauty with, quote, sparkling coloratura and, quote, impressive high-flying top notes, she has been featured in solo concert work with major American orchestras such as those in New York, San Francisco, San Antonio, Cincinnati, Denver, Portland, and Buffalo, among others. Dr. Coleman has presented solo recitals and chamber music in Luxembourg and across the United States in New York, Atlanta, Chicago, and Seattle as well as at prominent festivals such as the Summerfest Chamber Festival in Kansas City, the Chautauqua Music Festival in New York, and the Central City Summer Recital Series in Colorado. Dr. Coleman has been recognized as an award-winning teacher of voice and opera. Her students have been invited to study at elite training programs, including the San Francisco Marilla Program, Santa Fe Opera Program, the Chautauqua Opera Program, Ames Songfest, the Aspen Opera Program, Metropolitan Lindemann Young Artist Program, uh, among others. Her students are singing operatic and musical theater repertoire around the world and on Broadway. Prior to 
her current appointment at CCM, the College Conservatory of Music at University of Cincinnati, Dr. Coleman served at the State University of New York at Fredonia. And like I said, the bio is far more stacked online. I encourage you all to read about it. She has opera roles. She has sung all over the place. And I'm, I can't wait to dig in and chat with her. So welcome, Gwen. Thank you for speaking with me. It's great to be here. So before we get to sort of the now and hear about some of your ideas on music and teaching and all the things that you are so pro at, um, give us a little uh, history on your upbringing as a musician and, and what was your background like and how'd you wind up where you are today? Spark notes it's version. A, it's a mystery. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people. I was raised in a very musical family. My parents were both musicians, though not professional. Um, my dad played in bands and orchestra. He played the oboe and the saxophone and was always practicing. My mom sang in the church choir. And I was really involved in music at my church growing up. Mm. And it was a big church with a big music program. And so I sang in lots of choirs. I took lots of lessons. I played the flute and the guitar and the piano. And I took voice lessons. And I started getting involved in theatrical productions um, well, pretty early on mm -hmm. um, and just loved it. You know, when it came to time when I was applying for colleges, I was thinking about being pre-med. Mm. And um, when, I, when I thought about, you know, what will my future be? It wasn't that I chose music so much as I felt like I couldn't live without it. It wasn't even a choice, really. So I, I looked for double degree programs and there's a few of them in the US and I applied to the ones that have um, programs where you could do pre-med and you could do music. Mm -hmm. I ended up at Northwestern mm. and um, shortly after arriving decided that <laughs> <laughs> Being pre-med was really not my jam. Um, <laughs> like so many um, musicians, true musicians <laughs> at heart. <laughs> um, uh, I did end up getting a degree in psychology. So the classes that I took towards that pre-med at the beginning, um, then applied to that uh, psychology degree and a degree in voice performance. Mm -hmm. um, I was super involved in musical theater at um, Northwestern. And I was actually cast... I snuck off to an audition because a friend of mine was doing it <laughs> for um, Phantom of the Opera. Yes, you did. And I, yes, I did. I snuck off. And I think this was my junior year. might have been my senior year. Um, but I got cast as Christine. And I told my parents and I said, I'd really like to go do this. And they said, oh, hell no. You'll be finishing your college degree. <laughs> I love how this sound. This sound. Wait, just pause for a second. This sounds like you're like you're like running away from home. <laughs> well, a friend of mine just she was like, "I'm going to this audition. You want to come?" And I was like, "Sure. This sounds great. That'll be fun." So I went, and um, and then you know my parents were like, "Yeah, but that's that won't be happening," and um, and then I finished my degree at Northwestern, and I did not end up going that direction towards musical theater. Mm -hmm. I got um. I started my master's with Barbara Hahn at CCM, and that is really a major turning point where, I mean, I've been doing classical voice, but it really was where my path went fully in that direction. Mm -hmm. After that, I did, you know, I guess I did some 
you know, musical theater pieces and pops concerts with orchestras and things like that, but never, never delved into that genre as a performer because uh-huh. um, I was doing fully operatic things. I sang with um, Central City and then um, I sang with San Francisco Opera. And uh-huh. at the time they were doing a Western Opera theater tour. So I was uh, in the Marilla program, uh-huh. but then um, we did a tour of Carmen and we went all over the US. Um, we did the entire West Coast and then we flew over to New York and we did the entire East and we went through the middle of the US. It was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was such an education in itself, just mm-hmm. touring with these incredible artists um, and, and also just seeing the whole US. It was super cool. So then I was, you know, singing as people do in regional houses and yeah. um, a little bit internationally uh-huh. um, and I got to be into my 30s and I mean I was loving my full-time singing career but I wanted to have a family uh-huh. and uh, everybody is different on this so, so just no judgment at all for any choices that anybody would make for me I did not want to travel with a nanny for mm-hmm. my kid mm-hmm. I wanted to be primarily home. I continued to sing, but I didn't do more opera. Mm-hmm. Well, I did a little bit more opera, but not much. After my kids were born, I started doing more concert work so that I could be away for a short period and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I started going more deeply into my teaching career. Um, what's amazing to me, just fast forwarding to now, when I was in high school, the thing that I was sure I never wanted to do was be a voice teacher. I was, uh, I, you know, I had the greatest respect for my teachers, um, but I looked at the life and I was like, yeah, this is a hard no for me. Um, I just wanted that performing career. But now I look at um, the joys that it brings me in my life and the purpose and the depth. Mm. And I have never been happier. I, I love it. It's like everything I never knew I always wanted. That's uh, amazing. And we'll have to schedule our follow-up episode and bring drinks to that one to talk about um, changing perspectives and opinions over the course of life, won't we? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We need a month for that. (laughs) We need need a whole season for that. Yes. Yes. Uh, That's that's very interesting. And and so much stuff that uh, I didn't even know about your trajectory and that... um, that you had no intention of, of at one point becoming a voice teacher and that you were so heavily starting in theater, which many people do, but mm-hmm. that you um, wound up in opera land and classical land by landing at, at CCM for your master's. Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you, I mean, uh, m- much of this audience may uh, be a generation behind knowing very well who the magnanimous Barbara Hahn is. And is there yeah. anything that you, that you want to tell us about that generation and that lineage of teaching and, and she's such the pillar that she was yeah, and how it influenced you? How did it not influence me? I mean, Barbara was so full of delight in the studio. This is what is... You know, uh, she passed away this year, as you know, and so I've spent a lot of time thinking about her incredible and massive influence on my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that always comes back to my mind was just her delight, her 
complete delight in the studio, how much joy she found in, you know, uh, working the puzzle of someone's voice, their vocal technique, and, and just the lightness with which she would come at what seemed very difficult for the singer. You know, she just was, would giggle and she'd do, just do it. And then you would just do it and you would do, you would end up singing in a way you never thought you could. Uh. Um, she was infectious. And I think, you know, she may have been quite different in the studio than outside of the studio. Mm. Um, when I joined the faculty at CCM, I, I, came in on her line mm. she retired and i was a bit overmatched big shoes to fill <laughs> I was nervous. yeah i was nervous about uh, filling her shoes and being on her line i think as a colleague she was much more serious and um at times, perhaps difficult <laughs> at times, and she was very passionate about what she felt was right. But in the studio, I mean, she was serious, but she, I mean, all I can remember is that delight. Huh. And that is the thing that I think is, it infects me in my own teaching. It is, I, I'm honored and um, so grateful to have had that example. And I just, I feel it myself. It is such delight mm -hmm. to work with artists and to figure out that puzzle mm -hmm. and to help them take the next step and to give them the courage to do things that are new um, and find their true selves. I mean, it's, it's a cool gig, man. <laughs> it sounds like, it is. and it sure looks like from the outside that you're having a good time doing it and that, that, uh, what you do is important and uh, very, very deep and very good there at CCM. So I'm glad they found you. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. So along the lines of the, of the teaching and the studio work, um, and you can, you can speak to this as a, both a teacher, but also as a performer, if you like, what, what, what is a current intention that you bring to your work? Again, both, uh, uh, um, both and as a performer or as a teacher, what is something that you really like to hone in on with your students or something that you even maybe just have as a subtext in your head that sort of can, is an overriding thing for you? Well, I think my intention is always to help the student find their voice. And that sounds basic, right? Like not just I guess I mean that both uh, physically and metaphorically. Sure. Um, so to equip them with, you know, first of all, just the basic tenets of excellence in classical voice production. So breath management and mm -hmm. not just what it is, but what it feels like to them and how they're experiencing it um, and helping them to discover a functional uh, breath practice for their singing, mm -hmm. then an empty throat. Mm -hmm. And always, any students that happen to be listening are like, yes, we've heard this. Um, <laughs> throat, and then following um, a flexible and buoyant resonance. Um, mm. And so those are the three things. So there's breath, there's empty throat, and there's resonance. Yeah. And helping the students to produce a sound that can be heard over an orchestra. So we're we're training classical singers and classical singers are not miked in most right. cases. Right. And so they have to be heard. And this is the art 
of what we do is to find a way to ring freely and easily without over much effort, mm -hmm. you know, too much effort. It's not really that you're taking all the tension out. I mean, I think, you know, you want it to be free and you want it to be um, the student to be allowing this, the tone to be coming through their bodies. Um, but there is tension. I mean, thinking is controlled tension. Right. So you got to figure out where that tension is going to be efficient right. um, and useful. So that's the first thing is just to get the instrument itself lined up. Yeah. Um, but then, so that's the one side, that's like the physical voice, mm -hmm. but then finding the metaphorical voice, like, what do you have to say? Right. And really, I, I mean, I go back and forth between this. What is the most important thing? I think it is just expressing your humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is your experience of the world and what can you bring to the texts that you're delivering uh, that is personal and truthful? Um, and it, it takes uh, some work to look inside and even be able to answer those questions. Well, what do I think? You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, there's all there's all the work of the language, of course, crafting the language, using the language, um, and the style, of course. Uh, but through that, <clears throat> through the language, through the repertoire, what do you have to bring that is honest? And how can you use technique as a habit, not, not as a thing you're in your brain thinking about, oh, my jaw is loose, and my is touch my teeth, and you know, you're in your head, you're not in the moment creating something fresh. Yeah. But it's it's really it's really brilliant though, because I, I will say, and I'm <laughs> I'm not so far removed from student age myself that I have forgotten the feeling of when one is studying that the mentors and professors that are successful in helping, I'm, I'll speak from personal experience, that are successful in helping a student feel like they can be vulnerable and take a chance to express themselves is rare. And I'm not saying this with, with blame towards individual people, but the environment of being in school can feel so much like it's about getting things objectively right. It's about getting things technically right. And I'm talking about in classes and in applied stuff, right? So mm -hmm. it is a, a, a massive journey that I suspect as a meager 32-year-old, I don't have the answer to, but is a lifelong journey of constant reminding oneself and growing that, you know, it's safe and okay to express yourself and that's where the true artistry lies. And that the first part of what you said is the vehicle, which helps you get there, you know? Um, so my point is to have a, a, a teacher and mentor like you that is focused and doesn't lose that 30,000 foot view of the why is so valuable and special. I mean, it's very competitive. And mm -hmm. this, this profession is, there's a lot of outside pressure. Yeah. There's, you know, you look at, I think it was the National Opera Association that published several years back, maybe even eight years or now, um, a study about people who were applying for young artist programs. And they 
did a study and they looked at percentages. If you are a tenor and you are applying for summer young artist programs, what are the chances you're going to get one? Mm -hmm. If you're a soprano applying for year long apprentice programs, what are the chances you're going to get them? One. And they look at, you know, specific, they looked at specific programs and they're all the programs that you know of. Um, and the percentages were shocking to me. I mean, to get a year long as a soprano, it's like 2%. Yeah. And that's the people who have four or five arias to apply. Mm -hmm. It's 2%. Mm -hmm. It's a little higher if you're a tenor, but it's not, it's still single digits, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, it's very competitive for every singer. And so there's this outside pressure to be perfect. And the irony is, is that perfection is boring and it's <laughs> not real. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah that what people want is to touch your humanity. Mm -hmm. And that means all the skills that you have to have in language and technical skill have to be habit mm. so that you can allow your truth to come through. And that's a long process. Right. I mean, it's a, it takes time right. to bring these things in and let them be who you are right. so that, and, and you have to do the work to think about what you are trying to say. Exactly. In the first Exactly. It's, um, you know, I feel like my teaching went through a complete sea change, maybe eight years ago, maybe, I don't know, I think eight, about eight years ago. I joined the faculty in 2010. And then as you know, you said, there were some big shoes to fill coming into Barbara's line. And, you know, she is a paragon of excellence. I mean, she sort of walked a couple inches above the earth, you know, <laughs> seriously. Um, and so I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to say what she said. I wanted to teach like she teaches or taught. And I found my students were in their heads. Hmm. They were thinking, thinking, thinking about doing it right. You know, because I wanted them to do it right. And I wanted to be right. That's the example I was giving. Sure. And about eight years ago, I was doing this meditation and I was doing this walking meditation. I think it was like Deepak Chopra or something. And um, there was this image he was talking about and he was talking about a leaf unfurling. And he was talking about effort. Hmm. And he was saying, the leaf does not apply over apply effort. The leaf is what it is, mm -hmm. and it progresses naturally. It doesn't have to strive to be a leaf. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if it did strive, if the leaf wanted to be an elephant, it could not. It can only be a leaf. Mm -hmm. And something about this blew my mind mm -hmm. with I think the conversation of effort, of striving, and I just thought, I got to put it down. Mm. I got to put it down. I cannot be Barbara Hahn as mm. much as I'd love to. <laughs> I cannot be her. Yeah. All I can be is Gwen Coleman, and everything changed for me. I mean, in a ma major way. Wow. There were things I felt like... Uh, 
you know, people might look at me like I have four heads that seemed like just, I had to start letting my freak flag fly. I had to just like be myself and say what I thought needed to be done. You know, when you're in a lesson, a student sings for you and you think, I'm sure you've had this experience when you're coaching, you think, well, good God, there's 50 things we could do here. Where shall we start? Right. What is the most efficient place to start? Right. And instead of thinking, well, <laughs> what would Barbara do? Right. Um, I would just be quiet for a moment. And I mean, maybe it was prayer, maybe it was meditation. Sometimes my students said I looked like I had a stroke. <laughs> but I would just take a beat yeah. and think and, you know, ask, ask the universe or whatever, where shall we start? And it would come to me. And it does not take like five minutes or anything. It was a quick thing. Right. But, but there was like a space between having to know everything and what the student was learning, a space for not knowing, a space for me to not know, a space for them to not know, mm. a space for experimentation, for trying, a space for failure, mm -hmm. a space for discovery, mm -hmm. to allow each leaf to find naturally its path forward each student mm -hmm. and for me to help them discover what that is and for me to just discover you know they know themselves on some level obviously better than i know them i'm learning who they are and how they tick and you know what can be a support to them yeah and that changed everything in the studio and then i added a seminar class so i teach a studio class every week like you know lots of teachers um, which is like a master class right. format, of course. But I found my students didn't know each other. And this also was bothersome to me. Hmm. You know, if you were in the master's one class, you might know the other master's one students, but you didn't know the sophomores mm -hmm. and you didn't know the doctoral students. Right. Right. And you didn't necessarily know the ADs unless you were in a production with them. Right. And so here you are, as you said, trying to be vulnerable, trying to do something new, putting yourself on the line, failing. Mm -hmm. and getting comments from these people that you don't even know. Right. It's like, this is not, I wouldn't have said this is not a safe environment, but that's kind of what I was not pleased about. Right. Sure. So, I start, so I started the seminar class and it's just 30 minutes and I don't get any credit for it. They don't get any credit for it. And I ask my students, are you on board? Do you want to do this? Do you want to come for 30 minutes? We'll work in small groups. We'll address things that are maybe not being addressed in the curriculum right now and um, i bring in people to speak with us um and they've been on board for i guess eight years now oh my gosh and it amazes me because they're so busy like they're like yes i would like to add time to my schedule but students have said this is the best yeah. 30 minutes of my week right to talk to each other so we've done book studies. I brought in specialists, you know, people who will do Alexander technique with us. Well, what is this? Or a costume designer, you know, what should you be wearing for that audition for your body type? What's going to look mm -hmm. good and mm -hmm. right? What are we What are we looking for when we go shopping for these things? Right. 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 Uh, uh, bring in a director who is talks about intention for the character. How do you build a character? Things that and it's different all the time. Um, but last semester we did African American song, mm -hmm. and this. A year ago, I was talking with my sister and I just was like, I need to know more. Mm -hmm. I don't know enough. 
My students are coming in with repertoire and it's new to me. It's all new to me. And I'm the professor. Right. So, you know, I took this class at University of Michigan with uh, Louise Toppin. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, the expert in this area, one of the great experts. Um, and I came back and in my seminar, we read um, Singing Down the Barriers. And we did a book study, we did small groups, intriguing conversations, um, people with multiple backgrounds talking about, you know, where's the line? Who can sing this repertoire? How do we approach it? How can we be respectful? How can we, what, who are the composers? Right. Who are the um, poets? And what were they writing? And um, everybody was assigned a song. Everybody was assigned a composer. People gave presentations, um, wrote their own uh, program notes. We did a recital at the end of the semester, and it was amazing. We had pianists that came in um, and, and played and talked about their experiences and people who wanted to know more because this, we are just growing in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think I was blocked for a while on this because I'm a, I'm a white lady and I thought, well, I need to stay in my lane. Who am I? I, uh, I don't want to overstep. Mm -hmm. I don't want to offend. Mm -hmm. But what I came to is, you know what the offense is, is not doing it. Yes. Not working. That's to, the offense. Yeah. Not working to get better. And, uh, and, and nobody's sitting in this chair here, but me. Right. So we have to talk about it and learn and make mistakes. And it's uncomfortable when you're the professor and you're used to being like, oh, here's the perfect Debussy song for you. Right. And, oh, I think you should be singing this right. Schubert or whatever. Right. Um, because you have knowledge there. And so it feels vulnerable to walk out and be like, you know what? Some of you know more about this than I do, but we're all going to move forward together. And we're going to learn about this. Well, And it was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Of course. I, so I, I, was, I remember I was so sad to not be in town to see the concert, but I'm just synthesizing so much here again, because again, Gwen, like the, 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 the beautiful, a beautiful byproduct that I know is not your intention, but I'm just going to love on you for a minute here is because by doing something that you are visibly growing in yourself and you've, you've brought your students along with you and you were all vulnerable as a group, that's nothing but inspiring. People don't, I mean, I think, I think students, um, expect perfection and, 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 uh, um, uh, rock solid hundred percent answer from their professor when they, when they sort of just fear things, but, but it's easy to bring along students and, and people with you. If you display that same sort of vulnerability and growth mindset that you're asking of them, I mean, it, it over, it just, it just totally changes the environment. So it's such a cool thing that you've started there that now has been in existence for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Seminar. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's been going on for a while. It's, um, and every semester it's different, yeah. you know, the, whatever seems to need a little bit of love or, but the, it, the subject matters, of course, mm -hmm. but the piece that also matters is the students talking to each other, mm -hmm. sharing their thoughts, asking questions, leaning into one another. You know, one of the things that I value so much in addition to just the environment of learning and being open and you know hopefully we studied a book on growth mindset once one of the <laughs> semesters you know so just, just 
you know, trying to lean towards that. Yeah. Um, is just the way this, what I hope is a supportive environment in my studio and at CCM generally leads to students taking risks and allowing themselves to be imperfect and to grow, mm -hmm. you know, to grow and to support one another. You know, one of my um, favorite stories of this was during COVID. Um, Brittany Logan was doing the Met competition. She's in the Lindemann Young Arts Program now at the Met. And, you know, everything was online. And she didn't have all the things that she needed, the mic special microphones and special recording equipment. And it was early on in the process before everybody had these things. Figured it out. More, yeah, before people had figured it out, exactly. Yeah. Um, but another member of the studio, Teresa Perota, who had those things and also wanted to be a finalist at the Met. She wanted to be, and that year it did not happen for her. So you could see in some circumstances, you have two sopranos, both excellent. Mm -hmm. um, one moving ahead at a, in a prized um, audition. And you could see another one turning their back and being like, good for you. Right. And not being very supportive. Right. But not Teresa. And this is who she is. Yes. I mean, who she yes. is as a person. But I love this as an example of what we try to build. She turned towards Brittany. She said, I have a mic. Mm. I have a computer. I will help you. And, you know, as you know, Brittany went on and she made the finals. And, of course, this past year, Teresa did too. Yep. And there's a video online of the two of them backstage at the Met, hugging each other, mm -hmm. congratulating each other, supporting each other. And I thought, hell yes. Yeah. This is what we are doing. Yep. We are making art. We are being vulnerable. We are taking chances and we are supporting one another. Yeah. We are not cold and uh, tight right. and you know, whatever so soprano stereotype there <laughs> might be out there. Um, but in fact, the opposite, the very opposite. Yeah. Um, at just more than both of their accomplishments, which I, I'm so happy for both of them that they're doing well, that video of the two of them backstage, supporting one another, congratulating one another. I thought, if I have a legacy, let that be it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Well, it sounds like things are really, really awesome uh, in the studio there at CCM. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, you know, for you as such a celebrated teacher, teacher, but performer, of course, as well. Um, but in your role as a teacher, at sort of the be uh, beginning of launching these young artists into pro land and whatever mm -hmm. that looks like, right? Many different mm -hmm. paths. Mm -hmm. What, where... Do you have any opinions or or premonitions or are you seeing something uh, yourself where you think the direction classical music is headed in this yeah. country, in this world, in this industry? I mean, things are shifting. Oh, um, for sure. Do you ha have have you synthesized any thoughts in your head about where you see this genre going and this industry going? 
Well, I think there's a lot of fascinating things happening. Yeah. And I think it's just exciting. I don't know that I have any answers about, well, this is what I think, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Of course. Um, but I look at the things you are doing with CSI, which are so innovative. You know, your song that you're putting together and the many um, topical programs that you're putting together, I see that some of the genres that we had looked at previously as separate mm. are influencing one another. And we see, you know, uh, we look at Jake Heggie and we see so much musical theater influence, theatrical mm -hmm. influence, or champion at the Met. Right. You know, of course, this is, you know, opera. Right. But there are influences of contemporary idioms mm -hmm. in that music. Um, we see it in song. We sing. We, so we see it in opera, but we also see it in song. We see an overlap even there of uh, some theatrical elements even coming into some song. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I I think that is exciting to me mm -hmm. that um, some of the barriers between no, you must be this, and it's only this, are being blurred and there's uh there's an an exciting amalgamation mm -hmm. of these elements coming together and new uh ideas and new forms of art that are expressive of people's experience mm -hmm. um i love what our students are doing uh our undergrads at ccm put together a concert every year of um women female composers mm. and their pride in this, the way you know, they take ticket sales and they use it uh, for women at risk. Mm -hmm. um, they're so they're using their art to influence the culture and right. and, and politics. Right. Um, so it's not just arts for art's sake. Exactly. In fact, using using it as a vehicle mm -hmm. of of influence and expression. Yep. Um, I think that's very exciting. I couldn't agree more. And I think it, it it's just the natural, it, it's the natural amalgamation, like you said, of wh why, why do we have this? Why do we work so hard on this? Uh, mm -hmm. And, and to not have it be just performing art for art's sake. And I think it's mm -hmm. worth saying, because I think there are eras gone by where it was much more in the blood of, 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 uh, certain people of a culture to just go to these classical music events because it's what you did right before mm -hmm. the age of uh streaming and everything that we can mm -hmm. consume digitally like well my parents are this way right they have right. their tickets to right. the various arts organization in their city and they just go yeah and i know you and i would go sit through an all schubert concert because we love it and we don't really mm -hmm. need a reason to do it um mm -hmm. but 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 that can't be what drives leaders of arts organizations anymore in assuming that's who the majority of their audience is or should be for, you know, without backing the repertoire and the programming up with something tangible and, and that touches culture and society in, in which, we, you know, the current age in which we live in. Well, I think, and this is something you do so well. Um, I think people want to know, how does this relate to me? Mm hmm how, do, how can I connect to the humanity of this art form? Mm -hmm. And you and I would go to a concert of all Schubert because we love it, but we love it because we know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. We know what these songs are about. 
we know um, how they connect to us as humans. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't studied it or you don't know about it, right. you need the same help that I will just say for myself that I needed as a young right. artist before I knew about Schubert's song. I learned about it. Someone told me about it. So we <laughs> yeah. have to do the same yeah. thing yeah. for audiences to help them understand why it's relevant. What yeah. does it, how does it relate to them? Yeah. Yeah. I, it does. Yeah. I will also say it's so interesting being an, an administrator, you know, as a, as a classically trained musician, you know, straddling both, both sides of the fence in terms of like, you know, when I talk to fellow trained classical musicians about things about CSI, I need for them to know that like, they're not my intended target audience in the sense that I don't need to convince them to love mm -hmm. this genre. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's without cheapening the product of what they will experience if people actually come to a CSI event. Um, how is it that we can help people understand why it's relevant to them to get, to, you know, to get them in the door, to buy a ticket, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. where all the work happens. Mm -hmm. um, and, to, and, and when people, you know, come to an event for the first time, they tend to love it. It's a matter of yeah. getting people in the door. And this is what I hear ad nauseum from administrators and leaders. It's like, it's a matter of getting people in off the street these days. So that's, mm -hmm. it's a very interesting dichotomy of, of when you're talking to, you know, different constituents, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. I mean, I just think that I know you spend a lot of time thinking about it mm -hmm. and you do innovative things and you um, find ways of connecting with people that are varied and effective. And I just think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about it and you have a depth of knowledge on that. I think it's great. Thanks. Thanks. It's, it's sort of a never ending journey. It's just sort of like, you know, a constant state of, it's folded into the work of doing this sort of stuff. So I think you're spot on in terms of, you know, this, this art now has to is best presented and brings the most people along when it is clear why it, you know, connects to our humanity and why it's relevant to the world mm -hmm. in which we live today. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of it too has to do just with the intimacy of the art form of song literature. Mm -hmm. um, it, like any chamber music, it there's a there's a personal element that i think you don't and maybe unless you have front row seats mm -hmm. you don't experience in opera mm -hmm. um, maybe in a very small house maybe in this this exception or that but in general opera is large form right and being able to be close to the artists being able to experience and experience them you know just a few feet away right. i think is fascinating yeah. i mean it's fascinating to me mm -hmm. and i do that all the time but <laughs> um but i think it's it is fascinating to a broader audience as well yeah um when i was working with the ariel string quartet um i remember we were deciding on a location for some concerts that we were doing um for music for food which raises money for local um, charities that provide food for homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, but they wanted to do it in a space where there was no stage so that people would be on the same level and could see 
you know, how does your arm work when you're wow. playing a viola? Yeah. How does your body move when you're playing a cello? Yeah. And I thought that was so insightful. Mm -hmm. And it did end up being, we ended up doing it in uh, Dieter Lee Vocal Arts Center room 300, which is a large space, but has no stage. Mm -hmm. um, and we had some great crowds and people who I think really liked having access to uh, the musicians that were a part of that series. Oh, this has been so great. Okay, as we wrap up, Gwen, is there is there anything, is there anything at all about Gwen Coleman that the general mass public doesn't know that you would like us to know? Is there something you value, something you think about often that you'd like to share? Is there an ice, a wacky, wacky ice cream flavor that you love that we would never <laughs> guess? I mean, the the you have a blank canvas here. Wow, that's broad. This may not be juicy, but I I would say. The thing that I value the most is who a person is. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're a young artist, it can feel like what you should be is something else. Something different than what you are. Right, right. And I, I guess I would encourage every artist, myself too, mm -hmm. to see that what you are is enough mm -hmm. and what you're curious about is the path to follow mm -hmm. and what you want to say is the story to tell mm -hmm. um that you don't have to turn yourself into something different that that would be the thing that's most important to me as a teacher and that's full stop i can't thank you enough for speaking with us and for anybody interested in getting to know Dr. Coleman even more, you can audition for her studio. <laughs> Do it. You can audition for CCM, man. Yes. It's a great place. Yes. A wonderful place to learn and grow. In Indeed. Indeed. And you can come see a CSI concert, too. <laughs> you better. If you know what's good for you. Two birds you with a stone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gwen. This was great. Thank you for stopping by. It's my pleasure. Have a great day. See you later. What was your favorite part about this episode? Let me know when you rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help the show reach other song lovers, and isn't that what it's all about? Catch new episodes of Song Cycle every fourth Thursday of the month, wherever you podcast. Song Cycle is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about its network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. That's all for now, songsters. We'll see you next time.